The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. Oh, my goodness. I I know that I'm supposed to talk about MAGA Mike, the new Speaker of the House. That's how, of course, the mainstream media is referring to him as MAGA Mike. If they think that's going to upset anybody, they're wrong. Sure don't upset me. But the new Speaker of the House is a Louisiana Congressman, Mike Johnson. And uh, he is a piece of work. He's brilliant. Uh, constitutional lawyer. Used to be a radio talk show host. I, I, I wonder, I have not heard one person mention that. I watched a little bit of the news coverage and I'm reading all the stuff online. And I haven't seen one mention of the fact that Mike Johnson used to do a radio show. And I know it was Mike Johnson because I looked at him when he was giving his speaker speech and I said, wait a minute, I know that guy. And uh, he used to do a radio show, talk radio. Well, in my opinion, that probably makes him the best candidate. He got 220 votes. Hakeem Jeffries got 209. So apparently there was only one Republican that didn't vote for Mike Johnson, and that was because he wasn't there, this uh, Derek Van Orden. So now, if, if people out there aren't congratulating Matt Gates today, it's because they're really short-sighted. That's all I think I can say. I saw the speaker, former speaker, Kevin McCarthy, seated behind um, Hal Rogers, who is the... I forgot what you call that person, the house, uh, there's a name for it, the dean of the house. The dean of the house is Hal Rogers, and uh, Kevin McCarthy was seated right behind him. I believe Elise Stefanik was there, too, in that little conclave there. But it was amazing to me because the only thing people were talking about in the mainstream media was how, oh, the Republicans couldn't get it together, and they couldn't get it together, and all I'm thinking is, Either Matt Gates is one of the most brilliant strategists ever to live, or I'm a horse's patoot. Because we just got probably the most Trump-like, the most MAGA speaker ever. You know, Mike Johnson is the guy who told Donald Trump to keep fighting because he thought the election was was corrupt and that John, Donald Trump had actually won. He wrote up this whole protocol. People don't remember. Yeah, I'm so blessed with the memory. He wrote up this whole protocol for fighting for Trump to stay in the White House in 2020 until there was some settling of some issues. Of course, that didn't happen. But now he's the Speaker of the House. He's totally pro-life. He is sick and tired of being held hostage by the DEI and the LGBTQ and uh, the AFT and the you know CIA and the FBI, you name the alphabet agency or a nonprofit, and he's sick and tired of them and has made statements to that effect. So today I'm feeling okay, you know. Um, I know he's going to be the most conservative speaker since Newt Gingrich. How about that? And I also know that he's apparently 
much more palatable to the mainstream media and even to some Democrats. And I'll tell you why he's more palatable. And people, you know, don't like when I break things down this simply, but it really is this simple. He looks the part. He's distinguished looking. He's elegant. He's just about the right age, 51, 52 years old. He's from Louisiana. You know, we have a, 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 a long history of speakers from, <laughs> from the South. Some of the best speakers, some great speakers from other places. I mean, Newt was from Georgia. But I, I, I look at his speech today where he mentioned God a number of times, much to the chagrin of the Democrats who just can't even, they can't stand the word, never mind the concept. But he gave a very, the only way I can describe it is a very elegant speech. And I remember thinking that if Donald Trump could channel Mike Rogers when he makes a speech, although Donald Trump's speeches go over great, but if he could channel a little Mike Rogers when he does some of his more controversial and confrontational kinds of addresses, he'd be much more palatable to the media. See, what they don't like is the bluster. This guy, Johnson, doesn't come with bluster. He just comes at you like a lawyer with facts. And he's imaginative on top of that, which is just a great combination. He actually reminds me very much of my son Derek and his demeanor. He has that affable but very sincere way of speaking. So that's it. We have a Speaker of the House. They already uh, put motions on the floor to tell the Senate, tell the President, and uh, they're going to put together, first thing, I think, uh, I'm not watching, maybe it already happened, a resolution in support of Israel. That'll happen. He was unmitigated when he said, look, you know, the, we support Israel. Hamas are terrorists. They're monsters. And I, I'm, I need to hear that. I really do. I mean, you had the Secretary General of the United Nations yesterday. I, if I could have thrown my shoe through my television set and hit him in the head, that's what I would have done. I mean, talking about, you know, how, how they better behave. Like, Israel better behave. What? What's the right response when, uh, you know, a bunch of hostages, a bunch of hostages, a bunch of terrorists come into your country and rape women, you know, take 200 hostages, many of them over 80 years old? You know, how did we become such an anti-Semitic, outwardly anti-Semitic nation? I have no idea. It's a Tom Lehrer song. You know, the white folks hate the black folks, and the black folks hate the white folks, and my fakes, all of Europe, I don't know. It's a great American pastime, but he goes, but during National Brotherhood Week, all the, you know, people try to behave. Well, they don't ever try to behave when it comes to the Jews. You know, the Protestants hate the Catholics, and the Catholics hate the Hindus, and Hindus hate the Muslims, and everybody hates the Jews. And that's really what it feels like. Those who attack Jews or Israel, they don't, they don't attack Hamas. You know, Hamas terrorists massacred, massacred, brutally massacred, 1,300 Israelis, took 200 hostages, most of them civilians, and left another 3,200 badly injured. But you wouldn't know it from the way people are talking, particularly the university presidents. You had Pauline Gay at Harvard, 
and a bunch of muddled, tepid, heartbreak statements that meant nothing. You had the Columbia University president with a slippery statement, devastated by the horrific attack on Israel this weekend and the ensuing violence. You know, well, while all lives matter, when you mention ensuing violence, you can't put it on a par. Going after terrorists is not the same as raping and pillaging that Hamas did against civilians. And to imply a moral equivalence is disgusting. And this is at our schools of higher education. I mean, obscurantism, moral lassitude. Columbia College Dean Joseph Surrett emitted the following. The events in Israel and Gaza over the past several days have shocked the world and impacted many of our students. Events in Gaza? What are the events in Gaza? That Israel is trying to take out the leadership of Hamas? They're all in Qatar, by the way, the leadership of Hamas. So I don't know what kind of partner Qatar is supposed to be. Isn't it our ally, Qatar? But they got all the leadership of Hamas there. Oh, my voice is going to be crazy today. Forgive me. Yeah, I'm still sick, but I'm going to do this. <clears throat> I think it's kind of interesting. It's not nasally. It's more like sickly. So you got the Middlebury College people who wrote, acknowledge the untold pain, suffering, and loss of life unfolding from the violence happening now in Israel and Palestine. What is that? The, nobody, nobody from Israel went and picked a fight with Palestine. In case everybody forgets this, it was about 17 years ago, 14 to 17 years ago, that the Jews voluntarily left Gaza, handed over what was then a beautiful city, with skyscrapers and everything, as Stevie Wonder would say. And they turned it into bombed out bomb factories. So don't tell me about the violence and suffering in Gaza and then tell me it's been going on for years. It really, they had no choice. They've been captives. Well, really, they've been governing themselves. Hamas is the government of Israel. If Hamas had spent a tenth of the money it has spent on putting together tunnels and all the rest of this crap and attacking Jews in Israel on its people, it'd probably have a thriving economy, probably have agriculture, it'd probably be, have, uh, you know, universities. But no, you know, we have to, we have to make, say there's no difference between the intentional slaughter of innocent people and targeted strikes against terrorists. I mean, there's schools all over the country with these very carefully worded statements. But it's their initial reaction or their lack of reaction that tells us the whole story. At Stanford, they covered themselves in a special disgrace by adding dishonesty to cowardice. Despite finally acknowledging the horror, they were criticized for their silence, right? And they claimed that it does not take positions on geopolitical issues and news events. Really? Because when Russia invaded Ukraine, Stanford's president released a statement the next day that said the unprovoked full-scale invasion of Ukraine by Russia and the attack it represents on democracy is beyond shocking. It is remarkable to witness the courage and resilience of the Ukrainian people. Really? Stanford commented when a child's skipping rope was found in a tree in 2021 where it had been tangled for some years. Instead, they said it was a potent symbol of anti-black racism and violence, completely unacceptable under any circumstances. They have something to say about everything unless you attack the Jews. 
if you kill a few Jews, we don't have to issue a statement. And if we finally do issue a statement, we'll make sure we blame Israel for whatever's happening. Institutional neutrality? My foot. They're not neutral. They're pro-terrorist. They're anti-Jewish, which by any stretch of the imagination is anti-Semitism. Their mission is supposed to be to encourage diversity of thought. But I don't think it's a rocket. They didn't have any trouble condemning the brutality and the savagery when George Floyd was murdered under the knee of a policeman. But if a bunch of Jews get, you know, done in at a music concert and in their beds, you know, in front of their children, eh, they're just responding. All these contortions. I just want you to know who your friends are, okay? Because if you're still a Democrat and you're Jewish, you are stupider than dirt. That's all I'm going to say. When you listen to what your party has put up with, I know my congressman, uh, Jared Moskowitz, uh, issued a statement condemning Hamas, and, you know, I'm grateful. I'm sure a few of the Jewish congresspersons have something to say about supporting Israel, and that's all fine and dandy. But they, they have to sit next to Rashida Tlaib, and they have to uh, acknowledge uh, the, the, that ugh, Ilhan Omar. They don't want to answer questions, no, because they, they don't find anything wrong with killing Jews. Nothing. It's in the Quran. Anyway, don't forget to download our app, the 850 WFTL app, so you can hear our podcast and everything else. I also want you to visit the website, 850WFTL.com, and you can get involved in the contest. And I also want you to just send up a prayer that I feel better by the end of today. <laughs> Let me take a break. I'll be right back. So it's really kind of weird. Um, my husband had come in to the sick room, as we call my bedroom right now. He tries to stay out of there because he doesn't really need to get sick. And uh, But he came in and he said, Are you, you know, is, is the president making a speech? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I've been watching this whole speaker's race thing and it's been occupying my time. I don't know, is he? Apparently he had a press conference with the Australian prime minister or whoever is visiting him. But what was really concerning was, you know, the thing about Joe Biden is every now and then he slips and actually tells the truth. And at one point he was asked if he had demanded the release of hostages. And he said, no, I did not demand it. I mean, he's sending money to the Palestinian terrorist, Hamas, and he did not demand the release of the hostages? I mean, that's not just how weak he is to in front of me. That's how weak he is in front of the terrorists. That's how weak he is in front of the rest of the world that's sitting and looking at us and going like, wait, who's in charge here? There was an article in the U.S. Sun about an all-female Israeli defense squad, 13 women, who in a 14-hour gunfight in the southern Gaza Strip, they killed 100 Hamas terrorists. They, they literally, the Karakal or Karasal battalion, led the fight against terror attack on an army base and helped liberate a kibbutz during the onslaught of October 7th. So anybody out there, including me, because I, I, I qualify for this, who thinks that you can't have women on the front lines, you can if they're Jewish. 
commander, lieutenant colonel, or Ben Yehuda, told her unit to stay alert as they headed to the southern Israel kibbutz of Sufa following reports of infiltration by heavily armed terrorists. This is the one right next, you know, adjacent to the kibbutz that was burned out next to the music festival. She said to her 12 troops, we're going to eliminate terrorists. Infiltration into Israel is happening and it's spreading. Stay alert. We might cross paths. We are a strong squad. This is her talking. They arrived at the military base to find Hamas had raided the post and taken more than 50 Israeli military personnel hostage. So Lieutenant Ben Yehuda, Lieutenant Colonel Ben Yehuda, and her 12-woman squad zoned in on the base, and the 50 heavily armed terrorists charged them. So she, the commander, came face-to-face with a male terrorist, shot him at close range, an officer from another unit arrived and proposed an attack on the building where the terrorists were hiding, but Lieutenant Colonel Ben Yehuda refused to put the lives of hostages at risk. She instead directed her attack fire at the terrorists who were out in the open and scattered around the base. So combat between the female battalion and the terrorists lasted for hours. And then they got reinforcements from some soldiers from a Navy Special Forces unit. It took 14 hours for them to secure the base. So my question to myself and to you, are there any more doubts about female combat soldiers? I don't think so. But you know, the training and performance of these female combat units on the battlefield is rare. We don't see that almost anywhere else. And with good reason. The last thing you wanna think of is a woman soldier who's taken hostage. It's bad to think about any soldier taken hostage, but we're a sort of a patriarchal society, whether you liked hearing that or not. And the men in this society at least used to protect the women. But in this case, these women protected the whole country. They were operating at the highest possible military level. They deserve to be decorated. They're, they're actually responsible for 11 towns and are also, prepare, you know, they have to prepare in case there are grand manu- ground maneuvers. Now, of course, there are, uh, Israel has agreed to delay the invasion of Gaza. I hope they have some intelligence that tells them they're going to have a lot of those hostages freed if they hold off of it. What they're saying, though, is that the United States Air defense systems are coming. More Iron Dome sophistication. And that's important because there are now Americans that have to be protected in these regions. And American troops, there are US troops. So Washington is scrambling to deploy about a dozen air defense systems. You know, the ones that uh, that AOC voted against, the one that Rashid, or the whole squad voted against those air defense systems like the Iron Dome. They, they didn't want the Jews to have that. Those people should be drummed out of the Congress. They just should. You know, I heard Mike Rogers take his oath. You swear to uphold the Constitution and to defend this country. You don't get to say, well, they're right and we're wrong. When you're sitting in Congress, you can say we're wrong, but you can't say they're right. And that's what these women and one guy do all the time. I think there's one guy in there, isn't it? Bush? I don't know. 
But but this is insane. You know, I, I got people sitting in Congress who don't believe that Congress should be mighty and, and, and that we should have the world's greatest military and not afraid to use it. Strength is important. Peace through strength. You don't have to be Ronald Reagan to figure that out. Mike Rogers did quote Ronald Reagan. He did a lot of scripture in the beginning, and then he quoted Ronald Reagan at the end. So, you know, that, that definitely locked up my support for the moment. <laughs> he, could, he could mess it all up. There's no question about it. But let me just be a little content for a few minutes, all right? And, and then it can all come crashing down on me tonight when people say, oh, Mike Rogers wants to do this and do that. But Washington is trying to put up some defense systems for its own troops, the U.S. troops that are serving in Iraq and Jordan and Kuwait and Saudi Arabia and Syria and in the United Arab Emirates. Because they know that our forces will be targeted by militant groups once Israel launches that ground invasion of the Hamas so-called Palestinian territory. Washington advised Israel to hold off on a ground assault in the Gaza Strip and is keeping Qatar, a broker with Palestinian militants, surprised of those talks. I'd take out the whole Qatar. I'm like Donald Trump. Don't tell me what might happen. Let me tell you what's going to happen. Here today, gone in an hour. And I'm not a hawk. But for goodness sake, how, how does anybody think that it's appropriate to leave a terrorist organization intact that just did what it did. It's not. And then nobody has any respect for us anymore. We released four hostages. I'm supposed to jump up and down. I'm glad for the four hostages, but they got family members left behind as hostages. You know, then you wonder why that uh, Israeli woman 85 years old, shook the hand of one of her captors. Well, because her husband is still there. And she's concerned and kind of ticked off, Tim. All right, let me take a break. Stay right where you are. You're listening to The Joyce Kaufman Show on 850 WFTL. So what do you think like the most uh, gender equal society is in the whole world? Iceland, but the prime minister today joined a bunch of women in Iceland on a strike to call attention to the remaining inequalities in their society, even though the country ranks highest globally in terms of gender parity. The protest in which women are encouraged to stop working for a full day is intended to highlight challenges including a gender pay gap the uneven burden of unpaid work within the home, and violence that still affects women disproportionately. I mean, what are we, in 1975? Iceland is the most gender-equal country in the world. If you look at the economic and educational attainment, the healthcare outcomes, political leadership, it's held that title for the past 14 years. It has closed 91.2% of its gender gap, according to the forum's Global Gender Gap Index. I didn't even know there was such a thing. Where 100% denotes full parity and compares with the United States, we're at 75%. So they're way beyond us. And they go on to say, that's led many to feel that equality has been reached. 
says Sonia, I can't even pronounce this, who runs public sector Federation of Labor Unions. She says that's very far from the truth. There is still a long way to go. With 40% of women subject to violence at some point in their lives, and with women's median incomes on average 21% lower than men's. You call this equality? Well, let's look at that. This is the kind of stuff that DEI and all this critical theory really just overlooks. It's a woman's choice how many hours to work, right? So part of the reason that women may choose to work fewer hours in the workplace is because they're working at home, taking care of their families. Now, I understand that that's more than just a physical load, it's a mental load as well. But it's kind of expected. You know, I was a working mom. As a matter of fact, for most of my children's lives, I was a working single mom. So I understand that there's a lot on your plate. But most women have been given education, certainly here and in Iceland, so that they can generate income. And if it's less than the male doing the same job, it's far less obvious these days than it was when I came into the workplace. When I first got my first job as a professional, and I'm not talking about the jobs I had as a young person, as an intern and all that jazz, but my first professional job doing outpatient therapy at the Union City Mental Health Clinic in Union City, New Jersey. Everybody else that I worked with was male. And all of them earned a little more than I did. I don't, you know, nobody ever actually tells you what they earned, but it was obvious that they earned a little more. First and foremost, they'd been there longer than me. And there was no job they wouldn't tackle. I mean, I, I quickly learned that, you know, adult male schizophrenics who are plotting jumping out the roof or off the roof are probably better managed by a male therapist. That's all. So they did the, the front line work, and I did the groups. So I never said to myself, oh, this is because I'm a woman. I said this is because I'm inexperienced. This is because I'm starting out. And by the time I got down to Florida, I had amassed a lot of experience in schools and in clinical settings. And I was ready to do things and get paid for them. And I quickly realized the same thing that men quickly realize when they get out into the workplace. If I had a boss, I was never gonna make as much money as if I was the boss. Bingo, light goes on. You know, every woman I know who has been very successful, I'm not just talking about kept it together because most women will keep it together one way or another. But the women I know that have been very successful work like animals, work like men. You know, there's no other way to put it. They spend 70 hours a week. They start their own companies. They go through hell. And then they, uh, they get very successful and they make lots of money. And their gender didn't stand in the way. Maybe families would have stood in their way. Most of the women I know who were super successful like that did not raise children. Although they end up, you know, raising a lot of their nieces and nephews, it's, it turns out. But, you know, th this whole idea of, of gender equality and all that other stuff, you're as equal as you think you are. I understand that when I look at the salaries of male 
talk hosts and female talk hosts, there's a disparity. When you look at the salaries of male actors and female actresses, there is a disparity. Until you get really up in the outer stratosphere, and then the disparity could go in either direction, right? You know, I assure you that uh, Jennifer Garner makes as much money as, I don't know, Brad Pitt or somebody. Certainly his ex-wife probably makes more money than him. Plus, they have all these businesses. They open up liquor companies. You know, uh, George Clooney's got uh, wine vineyards and everybody's making tequila. You know, um, people have underwear companies. They all do things and they get very rich, especially the women. Look at Kim Kardashian. Somebody explained to me how that empire of the Kardashian girls and the Jenner girls those are, we're talking ridiculous numbers, billionaires, before they're like 25. So you know, I've just had enough of this. After all this time, you know, gender parity, we got it for the most part. Are you willing to do what it takes to be at the top of anything? I love people who think, well, I've been, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 35 years old and this is what I need to raise a family and still have some private time for myself. Well, I don't really care what you need. The market will establish what you can get, not what you need. The, look, I, I feel like poop. I'm definitely sicker than I've been in a long, long time and I tested negative for the big C, but I, am, I have a flu. Something that I get every now and again. But let me be perfectly frank. The last thing I think about is like, well, I, I can't work. I'm blessed. I have a studio in my house. If I want to work, I just roll out of bed and roll into the next studio. Got all my computers going. Got everything I need right in front of me. Got my producer standing by in Palm Beach. Where's, you know, where am I unequal? There are a lot of guys that work at our radio stations that wish they had the setup I have. I assure you, one hour, they laugh. You know, I know you guys go, oh, we could use more than one hour. You should have more than one hour. Listen, this is heaven. And you don't just get heaven. You have to earn heaven. I scratched it out for 30 years, overnights, early mornings, middays, wherever they put me, whatever they asked me to do, I did it. And as a result, today I can say, eh, one hour. Mm, noon, okay. Three o'clock, better. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. It really is. So I, I, I'm not playing the gender parity game. If the, if the women, by the way, I believe their, their leader is a woman. Isn't she? The prime minister there? The one that was caught with a kind of a sexy uh, party scene? The, the first woman there, Senor, what's her name? Marguerite something. But, you know, women are unequivocally earn their place in most societies, certainly most Western societies. Meanwhile, I'm supposed to sit here and feel sorry for these uh, Gaza terrorists who subject their women to being human shields. You know, the Israeli women are out there on the front lines fighting terrorists. The Gazan women, women's, uh, they're human shields. They and their children have to stand between the army and the terrorists. Don't give me that parody and disproportionality, all that stuff. I, I don't want to hear it anymore. It's nonsense. You can be 
just about anything you want to be in the United States of America. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what gender you are. If you don't rise to the top, you're not trying hard enough. That's all. Yeah, it may, may take you longer. It may be harder. But the top is in sight. Anyway, let me take a break. Don't forget, coming up after me is Eric Erickson. Kind of interesting that Jennifer and I are the only females on the station. Just saying. Uh, and I think we're the two best paid on the station, too. Just saying. Well, the big syndicated guys make a lot of money. But, you know, it's just it's so funny that I, I guess can't take these things seriously anymore. Women can, can't be expected. Yes, women can be expected to be frontline soldiers and win battles and everything else. Eric Erickson coming up, then Joe Peggs, Lars Larson, Overnights, and then Jen and Bill be back at 6 a.m. with the South Florida Morning Show, followed by Brian Kilmeade and then Dan Bongino. And then at 3 o'clock tomorrow, I'll be back. But I still have one segment left today, so stay right where you are. I tell you, you can't make this stuff up, nor would you want to. I mean, it's just amazing to me how ignorant people are. And we, we give them all kinds of rights, even as ignorant as they are. But I guess that's because we're a country that's built on freedom. You know, for decades, this country has, you know, we've kind of allowed this unconstrained vision of immigration, right? The melting pot. And it used to be, really, a melting pot. When I was growing up, you had the Germans and the uh, Catholics from Ireland and the Japanese, and I don't even know if you can use these terms anymore. Maybe I'm supposed to say the Asians. I don't know. And these people would come to America, and many of them would do you know, jobs that Americans didn't want to do. So when people say to me now, like, what will you do? This immigrant population is doing the jobs Americans don't want to do. I say to myself, well, but when there's not an illegal immigrant to do it, a teenage American will do it. You know, we don't need to deal with an aging population. That's not our condition anymore. We don't have colonies where we go get people and fill labor shortages. But over time especially since 1995, I want to say, that vision was running through the media and political elites, and immigration went from being a solution to a specific problem, like we need workers, to a moral good in its own right. Look, nobody that I know isn't, can't trace their roots back to an immigrant. I know like two Native Americans in the whole country I know too. More and more people in America and in Europe as well have, have quietly stopped believing in that constrained view of immigration. That's why Donald Trump was elected, in case you didn't know it. That's why the Brexit referendum went through. And now you're looking at New York where the mayor is trying to figure out what to do with 60,000 newly arrived migrants because he's got no room in the shelters, no health care for them, no education, no public transportation, and the city's already spent over a billion dollars to address the crisis. And the projections on housing alone could exceed $4.3 billion by next summer. So what do you think uh, lifelong Democrats in New York are thinking? I know what they're thinking. They're thinking we have too many people coming in and that the president should do something more like border control. We're not supposed to take in the whole world. You, you don't have to be a conservative to believe that. 
because the Europeans certainly are learning the same thing from their own migrant crisis. They spend $10 million a day on hotels for people who have come here illegally to Great Britain. They refuse to deport foreign criminals because they have human rights concerns. Remember that little Italian island of, of Lampedusa? The population quadrupled in one day when all the illegal immigrants arrived. And, and then every time we hear about some you know, terrorist attack, we just had one in, in Brussels last week. Two, two Swedish soccer fans shot dead by a terrorist who got there illegally through Lampedusa, the uh, Italian island. And the man was known to the authorities as a security risk because he had links to jihad. But when his asylum application was rejected in 2020, he didn't get deported. How many people like that are allowed to come and stay here or in Europe? It's impossible to say. But I'm thinking lots, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. The issue of illegal immigration has been impossible to discuss for decades. I know because I've been discussing it. No matter how bad the problem became, if you say anything immediately, oh, you're a bigot, you're a xenophobic. And meanwhile, I'm looking at what we're looking at over the last, do you think all these Hamas rallies in cities like London and Washington, D.C. and Paris, you think it might change the mind of even liberals about the immigration debate? Where did all these people come from? Where did all these people who enter our country illegally, get off celebrating mass murder in the streets of our country. I mean, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz just announced that he's going to deport illegal immigrants on a large scale because his coalition is hemorrhaging votes to any anti-immigration party. France has banned pro-Palestinian protests, said anybody, any foreign national who takes part will be removed from the country. Britain is doing the same thing, revoking visas if you praise Hamas. So I'm right wing because I, I, I've been concerned about border security because I believe that after the horrors of October 7th, a secure border is the most basic test of national security. You just can't make this up. Talk to any Uber driver who got here from Russia or Mexico or anywhere else, and they'll tell you it's very easy to get into this country. But it's clearer now than ever was before that borders aren't about bigotry. They're about security. We don't need people coming after our 80-year-old retirees or jihadi terrorists plotting another 9-11. So now he's going to build a wall, what they criticized Donald Trump for years. So I thank you for your time this time until next time. My plan is to be back here tomorrow at 3. This is the only hour of the day that I actually have gotten out of bed in the last two days, so I'm kind of grateful. And then my plan is to be back here tomorrow at 3. If it be his will, any delays is coming. God bless you, and God bless the USA. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.